When my dad asked me to have a sermon prepared for when he was sick, I didn't really think it would ever happen. Um, you know, this is his 30th year here, and um, I don't remember. Of course, I was one when we came, but <laughs> I don't remember him taking many sick days on Sundays. Um, but, you know, he's, he's so dedicated to the Lord and to this church in um, 30 years here. Would you take your, your bulletins and look at the verse that's at the top? It's a great promise from Jeremiah 29.13. Usually you hear Jeremiah 29.11. It says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Can you say that with me right now? You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. All your heart. Have you ever heard that women are better at multitasking than men? You've heard that? It's not true. <laughs> Neuroscientists have actually discovered that multitasking is a delusion. The human brain is not capable male or female, okay, not capable of focusing on two things at once. So Earl Miller, he's a, he's a professor of neuroscience at MIT, he says that we simply can't focus on more than one thing at a time. And switching from task to task, you think that you're focusing on more than one thing at once, but really you're just, you're just going back and forth really fast. Okay, you're not, you can't actually do two things at once. So for instance, it's impossible to email and talk on the phone at the same time. And you can't focus on one while you're doing the other. Now, if it's true that you can't multitask with your mind, how much more so are souls? Why do we delude ourselves into believing that we can seek God at the same time as we seek anything else? Why do we imagine that we can reach God when we're only focused on self-gain? Why do we assume that we're seeking the honor of God when we're at the same time all our efforts are, are towards attaining the praise of men? How can we seek the treasure that's in heaven when we're obsessed with the treasures on earth? How can we be perfected in holiness when much of the time our time is spent satisfying our cravings for luxury and self-indulgence? How can we find the peace of God when all we really want are the comforts of earth? To seek one is to not seek the other. To find one is to not find the other. You cannot seek God and seek something else at the same time. And so the Bible tells us that we need to seek God with all our heart. Seek God with all your heart. Oftentimes, we really, we truly desire to seek God, but we don't realize that we're seeking other things along with him, or we're trying to. And these things, whether they're sinful or whether they're not, they will hold you back. They are traps, and they are snares, and they, they will be that way until they're put away and given to God for his service. Now, perhaps you might know already what those things are that turn your focus away from God and steal away your heart's desire. K. 
King David, he knew all about the myth of spiritual multitasking. And so when he was old and he was dying and he was laying on his bed, he called his son Solomon to him and he warned him to be careful. He said, and you, my son Solomon, acknowledge the God of your father and serve him with wholehearted devotion and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches every heart and he understands every desire and every thought. And if you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. Seeking God requires your whole heart, not a half heart. Half-hearted devotion, do you know where that leads? To an empty heart. God promises in scripture over and over again that if we seek him, we will find him. But if we, see, we forsake him in search of something else, he'll let us go. Now, do you know what happened to Solomon? After living a, a, a life of wisdom and incredible blessing by God, what did he do? As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart to other gods. And after his heart, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of his father, his father David had been. Other gods tripped him up and held him back. And they turned his face in another direction. The, mo the focus of my message today is to urge you and implore you to let nothing hold you back. Let nothing hold you back. Get rid of those things that you're seeking in his place and start running toward the one that you were created for. That's why you exist. That is where your joy and your complete fulfillment lie, is in seeking God with all your heart. Now, there have been examples of great men and women who have done this very thing. Everyone who seeks for God with a whole heart becomes great. And it's not because they were great to start. It's not because they were seeking their own greatness, but it's because they were seeking the one who is the greatest. They, became, they become unique. These people, they become different. They become strange in the eyes of the world. Not because they're trying to be different, but because they're going in a completely different direction from the rest of the world. They take that narrow path that leads to life instead of the wide road that leads to destruction. So this morning, rather than expositing that great promise in Jeremiah 29, 13, I want to give you an example of what it looks like to seek God with all your heart. I want to tell you the story of one of those great men who had wholehearted devotion towards God, who ran in a completely different direction from the rest of the world. His name was Augustine. St. Augustine is an incredible example of a man who sought God with all his heart. He let nothing hold him back. And outside of Jesus and the apostles, St. Augustine is considered the greatest writer and thinker the church has ever had. His greatest book is, is called The Confessions, and it's the first autobiography ever written. And when you read it, it feels like you're, 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 re you're reading into his, his most uh, earnest uh, personal prayers. Now, 
Augustine lived 300 years after Christ died. He was born in North Africa, he was a Roman citizen, and he grew up in the home of a pagan father, but a very, very devout Christian mother. Her name was Monica. And in later life, Augustine came to respect his mother uh, more than anyone he knew because of her holiness. But in early life, Augustine was rebellious. He strayed away, he, he, he strayed away from his belief in God and his faith. Augustine was extremely intelligent. But like a lot of kids, he, he hated to school. He hated school and he hated study. And he only liked entertaining books like the Aeneid. And he used to cry, he says, at that part where Dido, uh, the death of Dido in the Aeneid, even though she was just a fix- fictional character. And this is what he says. In reading this, O God of my life, I myself was meanwhile dying by my alienation from you. And my miserable condition in that respect brought no tears to my eyes. What is more pitiable than a wretch without pity for himself? Who weeps over the death of Dido dying for the love of Aeneas, but not weeping over himself, dying for his lack of love for you. My God, light of my heart, bread of the inner mouth of my soul. Augustine tells this famous story about his childhood. Maybe you've heard it. He, he went with a group of friends and stole a pear from a neighbor's pear tree. And um, it hardly seems worth noting. You're a kid. You steal a pear or whatever. But it probably reminded him of Adam's sin in the garden. And when he talks about it, he realizes how purely wicked his heart was as a child. He said that he didn't steal it because he needed it. He didn't even steal it because he wanted it. After, in fact, after he stole it, he fed the pear to the pigs. He had better pears in his own backyard that he could have used. He stole the fruit merely because he delighted in doing what was evil. And he says, such was my heart, O God. Such was my heart. I had no motive for my wickedness except wickedness itself. It was foul, and I loved it. And when he was 16, Augustine jumped headfirst into a cesspool of sexual lust. And he says this, in my 16th year of idleness imposed, I was on holiday from all schooling, and I lived with my parents, and the thorns of lust rose above my head, and there was no hand to root them out. When he was young, he delighted in it, but when he was old, lust became like a glue that held him to his empty lifestyle. Lust was a terrible battle for Augustine, From that point on, you know, he lived with a girl for years that he wasn't married to, not because he loved her, but as an avenue for his sexual habits. And later, after God had pulled him out of that sin, this is what he said, to live there in lustful passion is to live in darkness and to be far from your face. In Augustine's time, the most well-respected people were public speakers, orators, people who could craft words in a, in a delightful way, though they usually lacked any kind of content to them. But being an intelligent person, he, he set his sights on, on a career of public speaking, okay? And he became incredibly good at it. He called it selling words later in his life. But his selfish ambition was as high as possibly could be. And there's a point in his life where he became a professor of, of public speaking, of rhetoric, And he was even well-known enough to speak in the honor of the Caesar. And yet all along, 
in his pursuit of his lusts, in pursuit of his, his successful career, he recognized that he could not find what he was looking for. He says, I abandoned you to pursue the lowest things of your creation. The lowest things of your creation. <laughs> Having already turned his back on God through his other selfish pursuits, Augustine officially shed his title of Christian and he committed himself to a false religion called Manichaeism. He, he began to believe all these strange things about God and about Jesus and he abandoned the Bible as corrupt and barbaric not worth reading compared to Cicero and, and, and Aristotle. And because of this new religion, he, he began to believe that his soul was somehow part of the divine. And so what he did with his body was not actually done by his real self. And so he, wasn't held, he couldn't be held responsible for his sins. And when his mother found out about his heresy, she wept and prayed for him constantly. He says that his mother wept more for him than mothers weep for their dying children. And when Augustine decided to go to Rome, his mother was afraid for his soul, and she went and she found him at the port, and she, she got on her knees and begged him not to go. And do you know what he did? He said, okay. He went back, and they went to an inn, and while she was sleeping, he, he, uh, he snuck away and went to Rome anyway. When he was in Rome, though, he started to become disillusioned with, with this false religion. His preachers could really speak in an entertaining way, but it became apparent to Augustine that there was, they didn't really know what they were talking about. Okay? They were just good at talking. And he also felt like the religion didn't offer what it promised. There was no joy, there was no satisfaction, which his soul longed for. And he knew it. But he still thought that the church was a joke, he still thought that there's no real truth in it. He thought that the church taught all kinds of things that it didn't actually teach. And he thought that all Christians were gullible and infantile. And then he met Bishop Ambrose. Bishop Ambrose was a very intelligent man. His sermons weren't as witty or entertaining as the Manicheans, but he was, he was thoughtful. His sermons were carefully investigated. And at first, Augustine would just go to listen because he liked to hear good speaking. But he didn't really care about what the content was. But as he listened more and more, the Bible started to make more and more sense. And he realized that those passages from the Old Testament that he used to scorn and make fun of were not at all what he thought they were. And one by one, the doubts that he held about God and about the Bible, they started to evaporate in the light of the truth that he heard from Ambrose. And he started to appreciate and be astounded by the Bible more and more, but he still couldn't surrender, as he calls it, to God. He says this, I was attracted to the way, to the Savior himself, but was still reluctant to go along its narrow paths. I was still firmly tied by woman. And slowly it dawned on him how empty his way of life was. How empty but it's his old habits that were keeping him back from, from moving on. And he was running out of excuses to keep running away. And he says that, this to God. He says, though at every point, at every point, you showed that what you were saying was true, yet I, convinced by that truth, had no answer to give you except merely slow and sleepy words. At once... But presently, just a little longer, please. 
But at once, at once, never came to a point of decision. And just a little longer, please, went on and on for a long while. And it was at this point that he said those famous words to God, grant me chastity and continence, but not yet. That means grant me sexual purity and self-control, but not yet. One day, when Augustine had been having these feelings for a long time, and these thoughts rolling around in his head, one of his Christian friends came for a visit, and he saw that Augustine had a copy of the New Testament on his table, and that his friend was delighted, and he, he asked him about it, and he assumed that Augustine was a believer, even though he wasn't. And he started to tell this story about these two men that he knew, who had heard the tale of the great monk, St. Antony. And when these two men heard about his way of life in Christ, they gave up their sins that very day and their secular way of life. They sold everything they had and they became monks themselves. And Augustine was struck to the heart at this story. But there is still this internal battle raging in his mind. And he said it was like this. He said that the nearer approached the moment of time when I would become different, the greater the horror of it struck me. My old loves held me back. They tugged at the garment of my flesh and they whispered, are you getting rid of us? And from this moment on, we will never be with you again. And from this moment on, this and that are going to be forbidden to you forever and ever. He was scared. He was scared that he couldn't go all in. And then he had an, an image pop into his mind of who he called Lady Continence, Lady Self-Control. And she, he says, she smiled on me with a smile of encouragement, as if to say, are you incapable of doing what these men and women have done? Do you think them capable of achieving this by their own resources and not by the Lord their God? The Lord God gave them to me, gave me to them. Why are you relying on yourself only to find yourself unreliable? Cast yourself upon him. Do not be afraid. He will not withdraw himself so that you fall. Make the leap without anxiety. He will catch you and heal you. And at that very moment, Augustine got up out of his seat and ran into the backyard. And he fell down on his knees and he was weeping, he was overcome with tears and with weeping, and he said to himself, why not now? Why not an end to my impure life at this very moment? And at that moment, he heard what he describes as the audible voice of a child, though he could see nothing. And all that that voice said was, pick up and read, pick up and read. And he interpreted it as a divine command to go and pick up the scripture that was in his house and read the first verse that his eyes came to. Not usually a good move, but for him it was. Okay? And when he opened it, his eyes lighted on Romans chapter 13, verses 13 and 14, which says this, Let us behave decently, as in the daytime, not in partying and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy, Rather, clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. And at that moment, he made a decision. He made a decision 
to live a wholehearted life of purity for God. He decided to seek God with all his heart and let nothing hold him back. Nothing hold him back. He went to his mother and he told her and she was full of joy. That day, Augustine resigned his post as professor and from that point on, he lived a pure, chaste life and became a priest and a bishop in the church. And because he sought God wholeheartedly, we have, uh, our church has never been the same from the third century on. He had such an incredible impact on the church. He gave his life and everything that he once prized to buy the pearl of great price. He let nothing hold him back. Now, Augustine always realized that he had lived the, the whole first half of his life away from God and that God had let him do it. Do you know what he says? He says, how slow I was to find my joy. How slow I was to find my joy. And yet he realized that God never left him alone, even when he ran away. I love this quote. He says, you alone are always present, even to those who have taken themselves far from you. It wasn't Augustine's own greatness or goodness. He didn't have any. That led him back to God. It was only God's grace. In the same way, God's grace is offered to you through the cross of Christ. That same grace to live a wholehearted life for him. So are you traveling far away in search of things that won't fulfill? Are you trapped in lust? Are you living a half-hearted life? Are you only seeking God with half a heart? Remember that verse, you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. With all your heart. When you turn back to him, you will find that he's been right behind you the whole time, calling your name. God calls all of us. He calls all of us. He's, he's calling the dry heart back to himself so that he can fill it up with love again. God shouts, longing for us to seek him with all our hearts and cut off everything that hinders us. I think in one of the most beautiful things I've ever read, Augustine talks about God's call to him to seek him with a whole heart. And this is what he says. You called and you shouted and you shattered my deafness. You were radiant and resplendent. You put to flight my blindness. You were fragrant and I drew in breath and now I pant for you. I tasted you, and I feel but hunger and thirst for you. You touched me, and I am set on fire to attain the peace which is yours. We will never find our life, our joy, our pleasure, our wealth, our rest, until we seek it in the one who is our life, our pleasure, our joy, our wealth, our rest. Like Augustine says, you have made your, us for yourselves. You have made us for yourself, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. 
Let's pray. God, thank you for your grace. You haven't left us in our sins, but you've called us. And you offer a life of joy. Lord, help us to seek you with a whole heart, to not hold back anymore, to not put other gods in front of you. Lord, I pray for that one who, is, who knows that they're living a half-hearted life, who knows there's things that are holding them back from finding their joy. Keep calling, Lord. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.